Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. Uh, this is Julie Douglas. And uh, this is this is a different episode uh, that we're doing here today. Normally, we we distract you with. Uh, with the you know various cool things that are going on in the world, scientifically speaking, and uh, today is very much a reactionary episode. Um, well, it's kind of a distraction for us. Too, yeah, really. yeah, because we're we're here in Atlanta, stuck in the House of Works office. Um, can't really get home. The the, the the highways are are just a complete uh, parking lot. Of, you know, cars are not moving. Uh, the the Marta tracks have completely shut down. Some people are trying to to walk the the tracks through the tunnels and I believe that is meeting with varying degrees of success. But uh a lot of people are calling what's going on now a, a zombie outbreak. And uh we're going to use the term zombie. Uh, but uh, but really it is a it's a it's a misleading term as we'll discuss in this Well, episode. the media keeps throwing it around because it I mean the effects of of this parasite seem very zombie-like, but Look, guys, we realize that uh, you may not even actually hear this episode. Um, we don't know when you'll hear it. Thing, if you do hear it, things might have changed since this recording. But it's May first, and we're just trying to document what's going on here in Atlanta. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just run through some of the facts, some of the things we know about what's mm-hmm. going on right now. There's a lot of misinformation on out there. Hopefully, if, if you are in in the area that's affected, uh, which seems to be largely. Um, uh, confined to the Atlanta area and a few other parts of the of the southeast then hopefully you're listening to to uh, you know your local radio uh, trying to, to find reliable TV signals but we do know that a severe zombie outbreak has occurred in the Atlanta area these these zombie packs are roaming the city uh, generally pursued by buzzards uh, and coyotes occasionally raccoons mm-hmm. uh, that are attracted by the smell of, um, of decaying flesh. flesh. And um, it was actually it was at first reported as a, as a flash mob parody of The Walking Dead because as we yeah. know, Walking Dead is, is filmed here in Atlanta. It's true, uh, but no, it's the real deal apparently. Yeah, and and certainly the the pop culture idea of the zombie is uh, is something to to take into account here mm-hmm. because uh, take The Walking Dead for example, the characters in that show are dealing with zombies or walkers, and they seem to be dealing with it outside of the pop culture idea of the zombie like they don't seem to have any preconceived notions about walking dead and walkers and zombies and what have you uh but but we have to contend contend with that so uh, again these infected individuals are roaming the city they are um they they are uh, re- be- behaving violently they mm-hmm. are uh, striking out against uh, re- really any kind of of non-infected individual that they're encountering um Meanwhile, everyone else is uh, either holding up in their homes, if you, and this is definitely the thing to do, hold up in your homes. The the infected uh, individuals are not going to be able to access your home. They're not going to be able to figure out locks. So if you're, if you're locked up, you're good. If you're going out and trying to engage with them, that is where the danger comes into play. Because, again, everyone's been watching all these zombie programs. We have a certain preconceived notion of what this is supposed to be and then what is allowed. You right. have uh, individuals that are, are be- behaving violently towards the infected. Uh so uh, the uh, HSW employees, our fellow podcasters, uh, have, uh, have have taken refuge inside the HSW offices. Yeah, and we're all okay, but, I mean, there are some signs of strain. Um, Josh Clark keeps ripping strips off his shirt to make Rambo headbands. Yeah. Uh, which is fine, just a little weird. And then Tracy Wilson um, has used her library barcode software and tagged each of us with a call number. 
Well, you know, in, in stressful situations, people handle things differently. They organize. Mm-hmm. They they do some prep work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's understandable. I do wish we could find Ben Bolin. Um, so if anyone out there has seen him, um, let us know. Um, other things that we know, the main CDC, Centers for Disease Control compound here in Atlanta, has... Uh, has fallen, perhaps. We're not sure if, if their communication system is just out, but um, uh, we're not hearing any word from them. But but this was after they did release some preliminary findings. Uh, the research continues elsewhere, but we do know that the quote-unquote zombies are not undead, but living human specimens whose systems have been hijacked by a parasitic organism. Right. This is very important. This is what's, This is really the nut of what's going on right now. Yeah, the parasite seems to reprogram the patient over a period of hours, uh, gradually uh, introducing skin necrosis and instilling uh, a shambling gait. So the, the, they appear to be rotting, mm-hmm. but what is going on here is the skin itself is undergoing necrosis and uh, taking on the appearance and eventually the odor of rotting flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, they're shambling, they're groaning, uh, severely depleted will, and extreme aggressive behavior toward all other organisms, typified by a desire to claw, bite, and quote-unquote, eat human flesh. And a lot of name-calling. <laughs> there are a lot of name-calling zombies, which, I mean, it is funny, but it's not funny. Yeah, it's... it's because they want to eat your face. Um, it's true. It's like Don Rickles becoming super aggressive and being sort of rabies-ridden. Yes. And we'll get to uh, the rabies question in a bit, too, because I know that has been something that a lot of people have uh, have been bringing up. Um the other thing is that popular consumption of zombie fiction, again, has prepared everyone to respond in a violent, merciless nature toward the infected, and this has only in- escalated the unrest. People see this happening, and it, it creates just anarchy in the streets. Well, that's the question right now. Like, What is what is the, the bigger threat here, the unrest or this outbreak? Yes. Yeah, that, and, and certainly there, there are more than enough uh, guns to go around, which also complicates the situation. Uh, CDC preliminary findings indicate that the parasite may complete its life cycle within the body of a scavenging organism of some sort. Perhaps coyotes, buzzards, or, or maybe even bears, we're not sure. Certainly you have uh, in situations where bears uh, in other countries are digging dig up graveyard corpses and consume mm-hmm. them. They're attacked, attracted to the smell of rotting flesh. Uh and the CDC also indicates that the parasite is transferable from human to human via the infected's blood and saliva. Now, some of that is maybe not taking hold of your brains right away, the, the, exactly how this is working within the life cycle of the parasite that we're still trying to understand, um, how, it can, how it needs to enter another organism, such as a buzzard, such as a coyote mm-hmm. or maybe a bear, to complete its life cycle, um, but then can still be spread from human to human. Well, in this episode, what we're going to do, in an attempt to try and understand this unknown single-celled parasite that is that seems to be causing the situation, we are going to look at known examples, scientifically chronicled examples, of parasitic organisms that hijack a victim, hijack a host, and uh, and in some cases actually create zombie-like behavior in that host. We're going to look to these examples in an attempt to understand what's going on now. Yeah, because, I mean, really, this is the, the best information we have so far about how to approach this outbreak in humans. So, of course, the rabies thing keeps coming up. Yes, and uh, I need need to just stress that this is not rabies. We don't don't have to worry about this being a rabies situation. Um, Human-to-human transmissions of of rabies are almost unheard of. Um, 
the Centers for Disease Control speculates uh, that uh, it, it can happen due to sexual contact, kissing, um, organ tissue transplants, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but for the most part, humans uh, are actually catching rabies from other animals, from rabid animals. And, and outside of the United States, where we only have one or two you know, cases three human year, rabies yeah. cases a year in humans, uh, between 30,000 and 70,000 people uh, worldwide contract rabies. The thing is, is that uh, there's a correlation with the symptoms of rabies and what we see outside of our right. doors today. There's the anxiety, confusion, uh, what seems like hallucinations. Yeah, partial or total paralysis. Yeah, and uh, the, the thing is, is that w- with rabies, we know that this doesn't really uh, take hold these symptoms anywhere from like 10 days to a year Yeah, as, as the virus incubates in the body. So the question is, is, is there a way that this rabies virus could have maybe mutated um, well, uh, and be responsible for what we see? Um, the CDC is saying no, but but theoretically it has been proposed in the past that if rabies uh, were, were, were to, to mutate and, and, and take on flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, essentially if you had a hybrid of rabies and the flu and influenza, then you could have an airborne rabies that would spread with uh, uh, would spread faster uh, and would have a higher p- uh, potential to spread from human to human. Now, a virologist at the University of Miami's Miller School of Medicine in Florida, uh, Samita Andriansky, she has said that, sure, she could imagine a scenario where you could mix rabies with a flu virus to get airborne transmission, a measles virus to get personality changes, mm-hmm. encephalitis virus to cook your brain with fever, and then increase aggression even more by throwing in Ebola, okay, so that you begin to bleed from your guts. She said if you combine all these things, you could get something like a zombie virus. But she says nature doesn't allow all these things to happen at the same time. Yeah. It, we're, of course, we're talking in this about theoretical um, chimera viruses. Uh, and this is a, a big um, part of, of bioweaponry mm-hmm. uh, the, and uh, the idea that we could take existing uh, pathogens and, and combine them to make something even more devastating. But again... Uh, CDC has told us this is not rabies. This is not uh, uh, any kind of bioterrorism attack or anything of that nature. Um, and, and when it comes to rabies in general, it's worth noting that, yes, you can look at a list of symptoms for rabies mm-hmm. and you can you can cherry pick the symptoms that would make a zombie. But that does not mean that every human case of rabies is going to resemble something you saw in a zombie movie or resemble what's going on in the world right now. True, true. But the paralysis, the um, extreme aggression, Mm -hmm. these are all things that, again, we're seeing. um, But as you say, this seems highly unlikely as a cause of of the parasite that has stricken humans. Right. Now, uh, on HowStuffWorks.com, we have an article uh, by Tracy V. Wilson, uh, which I understand she's revising right now. over and over She's again. She's adding a yeah. couple pages, yeah. yeah. And photos, lots of photos. Um, how zombies work, where she breaks down some of the the issues with rabies that we've already discussed, uh, the pop culture aspects of zombies, but then also uh, gets into this uh, this idea, the, this uh, the reality of Haitian zombie powder, which is another thing we want to speci- specify that this is not, there's nothing going on out here uh, in the streets of Atlanta that is related to Haitian voodoo practices and and sorcery and uh, and, uh, and and neurotoxins. 
Right. It's more of a question of bioweapons and could this happen on a mass scale? And in order to kind of give you guys an idea of what we're talking about, we should probably travel back to 1980 because in 1980 there was a man who appeared in a rural Haitian village. He claimed to be Clarvius Narcisse and that he had died in a hospital in Haiti on March 2nd, 1962. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in 1980 he comes waltzing in. Uh, he described being conscious but paralyzed during his presumed death. He had even seen the doctor cover his face with a sheet. And he claims that a bokor or a sorcerer, mm-hmm. had resurrected him and made him a zombie. And this was a case that was uh, explored by Dr. Wade Davis, who traveled to Haiti, collected eight samples of the quote-unquote zombie powder that the uh, the sorcerers were using there. And he identified ingredients uh that uh, contained uh, some of these uh, these common substances. One uh, being a um, a tetrodotoxin from uh, a pufferfish, toxic substances from a marine toad, and um, uh, some irritating substances from a hyla tree frog. Now, the uh, tetrodotoxin definitely causes paralysis and death. And researchers have documented cases in which people have recovered from near fatal uh, poisonings with this substance. Mm-hmm. So they have maybe seemed to die and then they have come back. So there's a, there's the possibility that this uh, substance is uh, is is the, the root cause of the, the zombie idea in Haitian culture. Well, in some victims of tetrodotoxin, poisoning often remain conscious mm-hmm. until just before death. So that would explain seeing the, the sheet going over your face, right? Right. But there are a number of problems and potential problems with Davis's work. Uh, so you have a number of, uh, of individuals uh, in the scientific community who have, uh, who have criticized it or even called it fraudulent. Some of questions in Davis's ethics, since he observed uh, uh, the desecration of graves while gathering ingredients for the powder. Uh, some have questioned whether the initial experiments with the powder were scientific or controlled and whether other substances had been added to the powder being tested. Some allege that samples of the powder contain little or no tetrodotoxin. Uh, and Davis countered by saying that, uh, that putting the powder into solution for testing may have destroyed the active ingredients. Some have charged that Davis repeated his topical applications of the powder using rats and saw absolutely no effect. And then some individuals studied this, uh, the several of these alleged zombies and discovered clear cases of mental illness and mistaken identity. So that's a lot of... Um, there are several grains of salt there that you have to potentially take into account when you're considering uh, Davis's work. Well, the, there's also this idea of how much could the skin really absorb the powder anyway. Yeah. And if this were to be used on a mass scale to create, you know, quote unquote, zombie humans, mm-hmm. um, how how would that happen in a way that would make sense? Yeah. And then, you know, the the, the, the case that we we were talking about here is an individual wandering into a village and saying, hey, I died a long time ago and I'm. I'm not dead, and I'm a little confused, and I'm a zombie. Um, that's generally not what you see in zombie movies, and and certainly not what we're seeing on the street, where we have pe- individuals who are raising questions about their their status and 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 suggesting that they might be zombies. Sure, they they might be a bit confused, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the people who who purportedly have been dosed with zombie powder, but you're right, they're not marauding. Um, and certainly, what we see, the examples that we have seen out there. Um, People are not giving their autobiographies, right? Right. right. They're they're not. They're just in, engaging with other uh, with humans in a very um, uh, a very brutal and aggressive fashion. So, all right. So you know, it's worth I think talking about that. But really, uh, what we're concentrating on today are parasites because this does seem to be the the cause here. Right. 
So the life of a parasite is, uh, is, as I think a lot of us know, is one of eternal pilgrimage and cyclical return. Uh, they must leave home, which is in a, one type of organism, and they must travel along strange roads through other organisms, uh, and then they must eventually return to the place they began. So you have a primary host, and the primary host is, uh, is where sexual reproduction happens. It is where the, the, the creatures are, are generally uh, born, or at least the eggs are produced. You know, this is, uh, this is the home. And then there is a secondary organism uh, in which it must travel. And so you end up with this this cycle, this life cycle, where just as a just as a, a man leaves his home and he moves to a a, a city, and then he eventually returns home uh, to die, you know, or to begin life again. It's kind of that kind of cycle. It's the prodigal parasite. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go into uh, another one of nature's examples of this, let's take a quick break uh, because I mean, assuming everything's okay, we yeah. still need to take a break and, and acknowledge. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, it may be it may be the zombie apocalypse for all we know, uh, but it doesn't mean that we're we're not going to do advertisements. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, uh, we're going to get into the examples of parasitic zombies in action in the natural world. All right, we're back, and if you're just joining us, uh, we're in the grips of um, what many people are calling a zombie outbreak or even a, a a mild zombie apocalypse here in the Atlanta area and in certain pockets of activity throughout the southeast. CDC, even though uh, they have apparently lost uh, control of their uh, their main uh, facilities here in Atlanta, they are still on the case. They are trying to get to the heart of this. Um, Law enforcement is out trying to control both the infected individuals who are roaming aggressively through the street and also the uh, uninfected individuals who have watched too many zombie shows and think they need to take to the street with crude weapons to battle the infected. It's it's there's a lot of unrest. If you're listening to it, stay indoors. Do not engage with the infected individuals. Uh, but in this episode, we are talking about cases in nature where a parasite reprograms a host to do its bidding and in some cases creates a zombie from the host. So these are real-world, natural examples of parasitic zombies in action, which will hopefully help us to better understand what's going on out there in the streets. Yeah, and we're going to talk about Toxoplasma gandhi. We talked about T. gandhi before, yes. um, but I think it bears covering this information again because there's some again there's some uh, really interesting correlations with what we see on the streets and what we know about T. gandhi. Um T. gandhi really illustrates that single cell parasitic organisms are capable of rewiring human behavior in attempt to complete their life cycle. We know this, we have seen this in animals and we've seen it in humans. Yeah, now Toxoplasma plasmosis uh, uh T. gandhi uh, as we've discussed before, this is uh, this is something that lives in the lining of an infected cat's intestines. And for two or three weeks following infection, millions of microscopic Toxoplasmosa young, uh, which we call oocysts, ship out aboard the cat's feces. They leave the mothership cat aboard the cat poop, and any creature that encounters the stowaway-laden waste is susceptible to accidental infection. And this means, uh, you know, touching a litter box, uh, infected soil, infected water, infected garden veggies, or, of course, uh, more importantly, rats and rodents uh, digging around in the poop, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, then the idea is that while the cat is the primary host, then the rat or rodent or squirrel, chipmunk, what have you, is the intermediate host, where uh, the oocysts uh, continue to develop. And uh, and then once they have developed inside of that rat, say, 
then they want to return to a cat to complete their life cycle. And they do this by reprogramming the rat's brain. So normally a rat would say, I smell cat urine, I'm taking off, right? right. This is a, a fear signal, they process this. But it turns out that uh, the parasite will actually cause the rat to crave urine and be attracted to it. And not only that, the parasite is short-circuiting the fear center in the rat's brain. Okay, So this is a a huge behavioral change. It is essentially saying, hey, rat, why don't you go present yourself to the cat and say, here, here, kitty. Exactly. Yeah, it's I mean, it it is the, the, the parasite is in the rat. The parasite needs to return to a cat, and so it does it by taking over the rat's brain and saying, hey, don't worry about anything. Let's take some risk. Let's go hang out around uh, places where cats pee all the time and see what happens. And what will probably happen is a cat will eat them. Um, There are even some studies that look at how this affects uh, humans, when humans are, are the intermediate host. Yeah, that's the question. How does T. Gandhi play out in humans? Right. There's a 2000 study from Charles University in Prague. Uh, made a lot of, uh, really made the rounds a few years back, uh, for sure. Uh, and uh, reportedly, if you happen to have uh, rhesus-negative blood, which means missing a protein on the surface of your blood cells, a toxoplasmosa infection could uh, make you 2.5 times more likely to wind up in an automobile accident. So we're getting into ideas of increased risky behavior due to the parasites tinkering with how you think and how you perceive dangers in the world. Depending where you live in the world, between 30 and 60% of the population is infected with this already. So yes. keep this in mind. So if you if you were to have toxoplasmosis uh, infection as a human, uh, mm-hmm. as, again, the intermediate host for this parasite, you also might find yourself hearing voices or worrying over your enemy's plots against you, uh, plots against you and your cats maybe even, uh, and the conditions can spiral even into delusional thoughts, hallucinations, social withdrawal, and even impaired movement and cognitive function. Uh, these are also all symptoms, just so you know, uh, of schizophrenia. Uh, debilitating brain disorder that affects 1.1% uh, percent of the U.S. population. Uh, but they're still also uh, symptoms of acute toxoplasmosis infection. Uh, so, again, it goes to show just how much uh, influence a parasite, a tiny parasite, single-cell organism, can have on the way we perceive reality and interact with it. So that's another thing to think about when you look at what should be a healthy living human mm-hmm. behaving like a wild, you know, zombie. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing too uh, about T. Gandhi. Um, you know, in in those certain cases, it does hijack your immune system, mm-hmm. particularly if if you're someone who has a uh, family history of schizophrenia, mental illness. Right? Mm-hmm. There's this idea that it could tip the scales, but um, so far, biologist Yaroslav Fleger who he himself actually has T. Gandhi, he found that toxoplasmosis, although really widespread among the population, is mostly responsible for behavioral changes like slovenly dress and introverted behavior in men and extroversion and attention to appearance in women. Yes. So in a way, it kind of makes women a little better. It makes the cat ladies a little more pleasant and makes the men a little more awful. Okay, so when we think about what's going on, with with a parasite that has taken over humans that that, that are you know clearly uh, very aggressive and slovenly that makes sense for the male contingent right uh-huh. uh, but not the female so we have plenty of f- female zombies that are there right now at least from what we have seen from the news clips and from the photos 
and they are not interested in matching their shoes to their purses. Right. Let me just put it that way. So, uh, so again, we're not saying at all that, that toxoplasmosis is responsible for the zombies, but we're saying here's an example in nature of how a parasite can rewire uh, a rat or a human to do its bidding and trying to complete its life cycle. That's right. Short-circuiting the fear system in mm-hmm. our brains, right, and hijacking the immune system. Right. So when we look out in the streets, we see these packs of zombies. We see coyotes or buzzards in their midst, generally. In some cases, the buzzards are swooping in and, and eating on them, or coyotes are dragging the smaller zombies uh, into the alleyways. Uh, the idea here is that, that we think... CDC thinks that one or more of these species might be the the actual primary host, right? And that the parasite is making is making these changes in the, in the the individual, making them more aggressive, but also a little slow, a little staggery, a little stupid, mm-hmm. and also making them smell like rotting flesh, so that creatures who scavenge and consume rotting flesh will go after them. Um, because they have to complete the life cycle. Right. Now, you're, and again, you're probably wondering, well, if that's the case, if it needs to return to the scavenging creature to sexually reproduce, then what's going on inside um, the intermediate host? How come a zombie can bite a human being and spread this uh, this parasite there? Well, that is because within the intermediate host, um, asexual reproduction is possible. And we see this in uh, T. Gandhi. Um, although T. Gandhi, T. Gandhi can infect, be transmitted by, and asexually reproduce uh, w- within humans and mice and any most any other you know mammals that it's going to uh, inhabit, the parasite can only sexually reproduce within the intestines of a cat. And we see this, uh, we've talked about this uh, in regard to other uh, uh, organisms before, where sexual reproduction is important for diversity mm-hmm. and for long-term survival. But sometimes you've got to fall back on asexual reproduction just to get your numbers up, just to survive a particular phase. So... Yeah, and, and again, just to try to make sure that we're we're not having information um, be mis- misinterpreted here. We are not saying T. Gandhi is responsible for this right. because if, if if this were the case, then we would see uh, something that looked like pet cemetery outside with cats right. um, just attacking everybody and being super aggressive. And that is not the case. Yeah. Those are not the animals that that are wandering out there. Yeah, humans seem to be the only intermediate host of this organism, and uh, and we don't know what this organism is yet. It's something. Perhaps entirely new or something long forgotten, we don't know. But hopefully the CDC will have answers for us in due time. But we're going to move on to some more examples of of, of parasites hijacking uh, th- their hosts and uh, actual cases of parasitic zombies. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is, is a pretty interesting uh, case, and this is the case of, of cordyceps. Uh, what will happen is you'll have a bullet ant, for instance, and it becomes infected by a para- parasitical fungus of the cordyceps uh, uh, family, and these are uh, these these infect the ant's brain and uh, and reprogram it, direct the the ant to crawl upward, to to disregard its previous uh, instincts, and to crawl up uh, a blade of grass and grip the stem with its mandibles. Mm-hmm. So its jaws stuck on that. Yeah. At the very top of that blade of grass. Yeah, it's saying, I know you're, you're a program to, you know, do your thing, be a part of the, uh, the ant colony and do some work, but instead we're going to cancel all that and you're going to climb up this uh, blade of grass, up this plant, and you're going to grab hold and you're going to wait. Mm-hmm. Now, worker ants who discover this, they will, they'll say, no, we're not having this. This is bad. And, and they, they know it's bad. So they will take the infected ant and they'll remove it. They'll drag it away and, dump it uh, far from the colony. Because if they don't do that, 
what happens next is pretty uh, pretty horrifying. Yeah, because within six hours, it will be dead. And a few days later, a tube will sprout from the ant's head. And this is the fruiting body of the fungus that emits the spores, which will infect a new generation of ants. That is why they get them out of the proximity of their area, right? Yeah, so the, the ant climbs up, grabs hold with all its might, mm-hmm. dies. This thing, this little fungoid sprout, splits out of its skull and then we'll deposit more of these spores that would cause more and more ants to lose their minds, crawl up grass, die, and then produce more spores, and on and on. And there are actually thousands of different cordyceps out there, each aimed at a different insect species. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there, there are videos of it online. Uh, I'll, we'll try to share some when this episode goes live so that you can see some of these examples in action. I'll try, try and do a podcast notes uh, post for this episode so you can see these things because it's, it's beautiful and haunting. And uh, and while there's nothing out there that makes us think that uh, any kind of cordyceps is responsible mm-hmm. for the zombie thing we see in the streets right now, um, if you but if you do see infected individuals, zombies boasting fungoid protrusions from their body or skull, do contact authorities immediately because that is new information that they could use. Right. So far, we have not seen. We have any not seen that. that. But but and generally, if you see anybody in your daily life with fungoid protrusions. Uh, coming out of their head or body, uh, do contact an authority because that's weird. I also wanted to bring out the flatworm because the mm-hmm. same sort of thing happens with ants where a flatworm can uh, infect an ant and, again, reprogram it, crawl all the way up the blade of grass, again, chomp down. Mm-hmm. The jaws will not move, by the way. Uh, yeah. The ant, ant, well, the ant like is programmed yes, to, to just sit there and wait until a cow comes, munches it, Along with the flatworm. Because, again, it needs to complete its life cycle. It needs to leave the exactly. ant and enter uh, its primary host. Right. So it gets into the cow's rumen, and then there it begins again. So just another example here of, of how widespread in nature this act is of going in and tinkering with another organism's brain. Yes. Now, this next one is also very, uh, very visual. And do check out the blog post so you can see an example of this one. Uh, I'm talking about Leucocoridium paradoxum, uh, or it's commonly known as the green-banded brood sack. And this parasite uh, goes through a couple of different life cycles, uh, but then uh, it does all of the really interesting stuff uh, inside of a snail. Okay, so so what happens? You have a grazing snail. It eats some bird droppings because that's what snails do. They're bottom mm-hmm. feeders. They, they eat gross things, uh, and then. Uh, and then the parasite goes through some life cycles inside of the snail, and then it starts pumping embryos into a fat, throbbing, pulsating, brightly pulsating brood sac that it builds in the snake's eye stalks. So it's, it, it, it builds this sac inside the eye stalk and then inflates it with its young. And uh, the parasite also takes control of the snail's brain, making uh, the creature actually crave daylight, making it set out into the open. And because mm-hmm. you know snails, they tend to keep to the shadows, uh, you know, inside of your compost heap. So mm-hmm. when you go to get some to stir it around, it you know grosses the hell out of you, that kind of thing. But it, it reprograms all that and said, actually, we're not going to keep to the shadows. We're going to head out into the open uh, with our pulsating brood sac eyeball, which is really important because that 
is uh, to a bird's eye at least is looks a lot like a caterpillar. Yeah, it looks pulsating. like a tasty caterpillar. They are just fat and full of protein and ready for for snatching up. So that's exactly what birds do. They swoop down, they eat the the, the eye stalk, and now they have the parasites inside of them, so it can continue. Bird primary host, uh, snail garden snail is the uh, the secondary host, and it just continues like that. Um, even if the snail survives all of this, they stay paralyzed, and that means that they can infect other birds, which can infect other snails, and it just continues. Okay, so another example we wanted to talk about is Dinocampus coccinella. This is a parasitic wasp. Yes. Now this is a this is a really cool um, this is this is a really cool wasp. I'm a big fan of wasps, uh, it, even when they sting me and or almost kill my sister or um, sting my uh, wife and make her, her leg uh, really itchy for a week. That we, um, and we did have an episode about wasps versus bees. Yes, and the um, differences. And wasps kind of came out on top in terms of their might and their, yes. their, uh, their frightening ability to do things like this. Yeah, they, they're more warriors. Uh, so <laughs> implanting your larva inside the belly of, of another species um, – Wasps were doing this long before anybody dreamed up, uh, you know, any kind of xenomorph for an alien movie. This is uh, why they have their stingers, their ovipositors. Uh, the idea is, you know, they implant the young inside this uh, this living creature, and then when the the thing develops, it's able to to have its first meal uh, by consuming the creature that it's growing that inside. That it was of. born in. In this case, a sweet old ladybug. Yes. Now, if you've ever had an infestation of ladybugs, you know that they're they the, the sweet. Act gets old really fast, yeah. but uh, but in this case um, with Dinocampus coccinella, the, the young hatches inside the belly of the host. Um, but it, and this is following, of course, the, the the makeshift catastrophic surgery by its parent to, to get it in there to begin with. But not only does the ladybug survive mm-hmm. this um, birth, this uh, parasitic birth from it, this uh, this chest bursting uh, like an alien's, but there's a little bit of uh, behavioral modification that goes on as well that causes the ladybug to hang out and guard the parasite baby as it grows into adulthood beneath its protective bolt, bulk. And scientists believe that it's secretions left by the larva when it bursts out mm-hmm. that probably play a role in reprogramming the host. Now, 25% of these ladybugs survive this ordeal and sort mm-hmm. of resume day-to-day behaviors, right? Normal behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, they're just, uh, you know, insects are pretty hardy. And, uh, and so they, they eventually shake off the, the crazy that was caused by the larval secretions. Uh, and even though they have a hole in their stomach, mm-hmm. uh, that a larva emerged from, they're, they're still good to go. So, again, this is another example of a parasitic relationship that involves reprogram, reprogramming of a host to do something that is advantageous to the organism. In this case, guard the young. I mean, it's it's like a complete case of, oh, uh, I really don't want to raise this wasp kid on my own. I'm going to put it inside your abdomen. Uh, oh, and by the way, when he gets out, he's going to need a little looking after. Uh, I'm going to have you do that as well. Uh, and then afterward, if you survive all of this, then you can carry on with your normal life. I also want to give another example of a parasitic wasp that takes over um, a spider that is indigenous uh. to Costa Rica. The spider is called Anolosemus octavius. And what happens is that the wasp has genes that produce proteins that alter the spider's behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, the proteins contract out with the spider as though it were an architect, all right, so this is what the wasp was doing. It's basically saying, you need to build me a house. Oh okay. Goodness. So the spider abandons its own home and begins spinning a new shelter for the eventual 
wasp larva that will emerge from its carcass, right? Wow. Okay, because at this point, the, the wasp has already deposited its larva into the spider. The new shelter spun by the spider is key to the wasp's larva's survival. It has a platform topped by a thick sheet that protects it from rain. And the wasp larva crawls to the edge of this platform and spins a cocoon that hangs down through an opening that the spider has provided when it was creating this home for the wasp larva that emerged from its body. Wow. That, that is an incredible case of parasitic manipulation. In, in one case, we saw the wasp saying, hey, you're going to raise my young. And in this case, hey, you're going to build a house for me. That's- you're going to build a house specific. And it's going to be very different from the types of homes that you normally spin Hmm. This one is going to have a ledge. It's going to have some shelter. Um, in speaking about parasites in the animal world, particularly cases of toxoplasmosis or these architect zombie spiders, uh, the New York Times author of the article, How to Control an Army of Zombies, writes that whether humans are susceptible to this sort of zombie invasion is less clear. It is challenging enough to figure out how parasites manipulate invertebrates, which have a few hundred thousand neurons in their nervous systems. Vertebrates, including humans, have millions or billions of neurons, and so scientists have made fewer advances in studying their zombification. Things to think about as as we face uh, this this parasite infection in front of us. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it, it's it's getting kind of bad. The coffee machine has been out for literally hours uh, here at work. So. Yeah, I know you your your eye keeps twitching, and I can't. I mean, I'm going to say this: you you have an unsettling presence that's beginning to form around you. Well, that's no, that's no good at all. I'm gonna have to drink more green tea. I know. I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna try to find all the caffeine stores I can. Yeah. I, I promise you this. Do you think some of our coworkers are stockpiling caffeine? Because if that is the case, um, there needs to be a reckoning. Well, I think that after this, we can probably investigate. Okay. Maybe round up some people. Yeah, we should round up some suspects them. and see see who's holding. Because because uh, seriously, we're supposed to be a team here. I know, right? Yeah. Okay, so we we all need to be on the same page here. We exactly, don't need to be, exactly. you know, taking all the coffee and the caffeine because we need it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> did you did that sound like a body slumping up against the door? Uh, it might be. Um, it might be. Well, we better we better close this out so we can investigate that. I'm just going to rehash uh, for people that are still listening about the threat that we're facing. Stay indoors. The infected will not be able to manipulate locks. Um, also, pay attention to emergency broadcasts. Listen to what's going on. Hopefully the CDC, uh, Law Enforcement, National Guard will have everything sorted out shortly. Do not harm infected individuals. Again, these are not the living dead. These are individuals who've, whose bodies have been taken over by a parasite that we're still trying to understand. It's causing their skin to undergo necrosis and appear to be rotting in order to attract um, scavenging organisms. Um, and it also, recovery may be possible for these individuals. We talked about the ladybug. Mm-hmm. It returns to normal life after the parasite is done with it. So uh, it's it, may cure itself naturally. CDC may have some sort of a cure um, that we can start rolling out very shortly. We don't know yet, but do not harm the individuals. Do not harm the zombies. And finally, report sightings of infected uh, to authorities as well as any new peculiarities that may be uh, uh, showing up because that might help us to better understand what's happening. Yeah, we're talking about pulsating uh, brood sacs or fungoid protrusions. Indeed. 
All right. Uh, let us know what you guys know out there about what's going on. You can get in touch with us uh, in, in many different ways. Yes, you can visit our website, which is StuffToBlowYourMind.com. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr. We are Stuff to Blow Your Mind on both of those. Our Twitter feed is Blow the Mind. And on YouTube, we are Mind Stuff Show. And you can always send us an email at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.